Welcome to the vodcast. When Kevin McCarthy was trying to round up enough Republican votes in the House to become Speaker, he gave the holdouts a pledge that he'd give a fair hearing to a bill to abolish the IRS. In other words, abolish the income tax and replace it with a national sales tax. As you likely know, after making a slew of promises, McCarthy was elected Speaker of the House. On January 9th, 2023, a bill entitled the Fair Tax Act of 2023 was submitted to the Ways and Means Committee for consideration. That bill would abolish the IRS. So, what happened next? The Dr. Reality Vodcast with Dave Champion. Let's start with this. When I heard about this group of Republicans seeking to get a fair hearing on the so-called fair tax, I laughed. This legislation has been introduced in nearly every congressional session for years and always with the same outcome. It never makes it out of committee. McCarthy knew as he was making that promise that he would never give the bill a hearing because no senior member of the House or Senate from either party is going to give the so-called fair tax a hearing. Like so many things in D.C., there is a veil over the truth of what's really happening. On this subject, the veil not only shields the truth from you, but also from all members of Congress except those at the very top of the power structure. Today, I'm going to rip away that veil and let you see what the so-called servants of the people in D.C., are really up to on the question of abolishing the IRS. If you're a fan of a national retail sales tax, you're going to be upset at what I'm about to say. But as I move along in this presentation, I'm going to prove in law what I'm about to say. I don't know if proof will make a difference to those who support a national sales tax because I've noticed it's pretty much a religion for them. I have yet to meet a supporter of the national sales tax whose position is based on facts or law. That said, facts and law do matter to the courts, so ordinary citizens who adore the idea of a national sales tax being in denial isn't terribly important. Here's the statement that's going to anger the national sales tax folks. Congress has no authority to enact a national sales tax. Now, don't run away in a hissy. I'm going to show you why that statement is legally factual. But before I do that, I want to let you know that putting forth a bill to enact an unconstitutional tax is not the worst of what's being done in D.C. on this subject. After I provide the evidence showing why a national sales tax is unconstitutional, I'll then hit you with the really ugly aspect of what the elected miscreants in D.C. are hiding from you. In order to discuss a national sales tax, we have to know what kind of tax sales tax is. If your answer is that sales tax is, well, sales tax, you are completely unqualified to even have an opinion on this subject because you don't know anything about how taxes are classified in law. You may recall from high school civics class that the federal government only has the authority spe specifically granted to it in the U.S. Constitution. Accordingly, what kind of taxes is the federal government allowed to impose under the Constitution? The top-tier issue is whether a tax is direct 
or indirect. I'm going to keep this presentation short by excluding direct taxes from the discussion because the Supreme Court in the Hylton case stated direct taxes, as understood by the men who wrote the Constitution, are only upon slaves and real property. Further, in the entire history of the United States, Congress has never enacted a direct tax, so we needn't waste time discussing direct taxes. That leaves us with indirect taxes, which are specifically named in Article 1, Section 8, Clause 1 of the Constitution. They are, and I quote, duties, imposts, and excises. We needn't waste time with imposts and duties because an excise tax means a tax upon the exercise of a government-granted privilege, and sales tax is upon a government-granted privilege. In other words, sales tax is an excise tax. Because the federal government has never enacted a sales tax, I can't quote from a statute that doesn't exist. However, many states have sales tax, so we'll look at one of those. Although sales tax is the same everywhere, I'm going to share the wording from the California sales tax statute because California uses very clear language in its statute. The California statute that imposes sales tax is found in the California Revenue and Taxation Code, Section 6051, which reads, quote, for the privilege of selling tangible personal property at retail, a tax is hereby imposed upon all retailers, close quote. In those 18 words, there is a lot to unpack. But for today, I'll simply point out that the California legislature stated plainly, sales tax is imposed upon the exercise of a privilege, which is the definition of an excise tax. Wait, you don't believe me? <laughs> Maybe you'll believe the federal courts. In American Airways v. Wallace, the court stated, quote, the term excise tax and privilege tax are synonymous. The two are often used interchangeably, close quote. Now that you understand sales tax is a tax upon a privilege, it's time to go a step further. Westlaw is one of the premier proprietary databases used by lawyers and legal professionals to research matters of law. Part of its database is entitled Taxation keys. Keys provide an attorney with a short statement, usually one sentence, that summarizes a point of law well settled by numerous concurring court decisions. In the section concerning excise taxes, Westlaw provides this key statement, quote, the legislature cannot name something to be a taxable privilege unless it is first a privilege, close quote. Remember a moment ago I said the opening 18 words of the California sales tax statute provides a lot to unpack? Well, I'm not going to get into it today because this would end up being a very long presentation. But one part of unpacking those words would be explaining what exactly the privilege is. And that brings us to what is not a privilege. In terms of today's discussion, the important thing to understand is that buying and selling your own property is not a privilege. For those who want to pretend that isn't true, let's hear from the federal courts. Corn v. Forth, 1936, quote, the individual's right to live and own property are natural rights for the enjoyment of which an excise cannot be imposed, close quote. Butcher's Union Company v. Crescent City C Company, 1884, quote, the property that every man has is his personal labor, as it is the original foundation of all other property, so it is the most sacred and inviolable to hinder his employing it in what manner he thinks proper without injury to his neighbor is a plain violation of that most sacred property, close quote. And Coppage v. Kansas, 1915, quote, 
Included in the right of personal liberty is the right to make contracts for the acquisition of property. Chief among such contracts is that of personal employment by which labor and other services are exchanged for money and other forms of property. Close quote. It should be noted these decisions remain binding decisional law, having never been overturned or reversed in whole or part. To summarize, sales tax is a privilege tax, which is synonymous with excise tax. Congress does have the authority to enact excise taxes. Excise taxes can only be imposed on activities that are, in reality, a privilege. In other words, a legislature can't declare something that is a right to be a privilege for the purpose of then imposing an excise tax. Standing decisions of the U.S. Supreme Court have declared that acquiring, possessing, utilizing, and disposing of personal property is an unalienable right. In short, Congress can't impose a national sales tax, an excise, on the American people because buying and selling personal property is a right not subject to an excise privilege tax. I can hear the anguished cries now, but Dave, in states with sales tax, everyone pays it. While I certainly wouldn't argue with that sentiment, saying everyone pays it isn't true. Let's revisit California Revenue and Taxation Code Section 6051, which reads, for the privilege of selling tangible personal property at retail, a tax is hereby imposed upon all retailers. Who is the tax imposed upon? Right, all retailers. Again, I'm not going to make this presentation super long by unpacking that. Instead, I'll tell you that about 25 years ago, after I discovered what the privilege is concerning sales tax, I immediately stopped charging my customer sales tax. Why? Because I actually read the law. <laughs> but Dave, they cry. If what you're saying is true, attorneys for major corporations would tell them about it. <sighs> Sorry, no. I've been at this for decades. Do you know how many corporate attorneys I've talked with who knew any of what we've just discussed to this point today? If you said zero, you'd be right. It is a pervasive public myth that attorneys know the law. Attorneys know only a tiny fraction of law that's pertinent on a daily basis to their area of specialty. And it's only worse with tax attorneys. They only know superficialities such as there is hereby imposed a tax on retailers. In their appalling ignorance of the law, they'll turn to a business client and say, see, retailer, that's you. They have no clue that because of what the privilege is involved with sales tax and having never bothered to research it, the vast majority of companies selling merchandise to the public are not retailers for the purpose of sales tax law. Remember when Anthony Fauci said, quote, when people are vaccinated, they can feel safe that they are not going to get infected. <laughs> Tax attorneys are no better. They constantly make baseless comments about the law. They can't back up when challenged. Sadly, the people who pay these attorneys blindly believe whatever they say because there is a pervasive myth in America that attorneys know the law. Since Congress can't impose a national retail sales tax, why did a group of Republican lawmakers introduce legislation to do that. That's simple. The big pitch they made when introducing the bill was that it would abolish the IRS. Who wouldn't want to abolish the IRS, right? Introducing legislation to abolish the IRS makes for great campaign rhetoric going into the 2024 election. If you think me cynical and there was more to it than merely a stunt to create campaign rhetoric, 
reach out to the offices of the congressman who introduced the bill and ask for a document showing they reached out to the Congressional Research Service to find out if Congress has authority to impose such a tax. I assure you, you'll get nothing in response to your request because they didn't seek that information from the Congressional Research Service. Why didn't they? because they knew the bill was going nowhere, so whether what's in the bill is constitutional wasn't important. It was all about the ability to stand on the stump in 2024 and say they introduced legislation to abolish the IRS, which is appealing to a whole lot of voters for the obvious reason. As a note, because today I happen to be talking about Republicans, don't misinterpret that as being partisan. The Dems do exactly the same thing, merely on different subjects. At the outset, I told you that introducing legislation to achieve an unconstitutional end was not the worst of this situation. Also, McCarthy refusing to give a hearing to a bill that would abolish the IRS isn't the worst of it. What McCarthy knows, as do only those at the pinnacle of power in Congress, is that no alternative form of taxation can be allowed to take the place of the current system. Why? Due to the constitutional issue of direct and indirect taxes and the constitutional regulations of apportionment and uniformity, respectively, as well as a long list of Supreme Court decisions saying unalienable rights cannot be taxed because, as the court proclaimed in McCullough v. Maryland, the power to tax is the power to destroy. The founders did not give the national government the authority to impose the kind of income tax most Americans wrongly believe exists at this time in this country. But Dave, they cry, Congress already has that authority. That's why we pay income tax. Nope. That assertion is factually and legally inaccurate. You pay income tax for one of two reasons. One, despite the fact that the Constitution does not give Congress that power, and Congress has never passed any law taxing your labor, you pay it because you've never bothered to actually read what the law says for yourself. Or two, you know the truth and you're so fearful of the government that you pay it anyway. If you're in that second category, Samuel Adams has something to say to you. Quote, crouch down and lick the hands which feed you. May your chains set lightly upon you and may posterity forget that ye were our countrymen. Close quote. One thing is true. You can be a coward or you can have liberty, but you can't be a coward and have liberty. Unless, of course, other men secure liberty for you and you're able to enjoy it because of the sacrifices made by real men. Those who've never bothered to read the law with their own eyes may not believe that Congress has never passed a law taxing your labor. Of course, I don't know how they could have any opinion on the matter, considering they've chosen to be completely ignorant. Thomas Jefferson has something to say to folks who choose ignorance. Quote, those who expect to be both ignorant and free expect what never was and never will be. Close quote. In short, you pay income tax out of ignorance or fear but not because Congress imposed an income tax on your labor. Congress has never done that. Here's the central point. People like McCarthy and others at the pinnacle of power in the U.S. government know that because the Constitution doesn't grant Congress the power to impose a tax upon your labor, they can never let the current income tax system go because the vast majority of Americans have been brainwashed by a 60-year massive government disinformation campaign into believing the current income tax is something it isn't. 
let me be clear. They know the truth, and they're playing you, violating your rights, and stealing your property. Because they believe the vast majority of American voters are lazy and stupid. So, tell me, what have you done to prove them wrong? Remember a few minutes ago, we discussed that an excise tax is a tax upon the exercise of a privilege? Care to guess into which category the current income tax belongs? If you said excise tax, you are 100% correct, and the U.S. Supreme Court has said exactly that. Of course, that brings us to the question of what the privilege is that's being taxed. Much like the privilege mentioned in connection with sales tax, proving to you what the privilege is would increase the length of this presentation considerably. Nevertheless, you should have learned enough by this point to know an excise tax cannot be imposed on your unalienable right to work, your labor, or the fruits of that labor. As I mentioned, I'm not going to make this presentation needlessly long by providing mountains of evidence about what the privileged activity is actually being taxed by the U.S. income tax, but I will give you a hint. Most Americans are unaware the income tax involves withholding on various forms of income, not just payroll withholding. But no matter what kind of withholding is taking place, according to U.S. tax law, can only be done by someone known in law as a withholding agent. There is no form of withholding in U.S. tax law that can be performed by anyone other than a withholding agent. That includes payroll withholding. Another way to phrase it is anyone who engages in withholding income tax from anyone under any provision of tax law becomes a withholding agent. That said, tax law very strictly defines a withholding agent. In short, anyone who withholds is a withholding agent, and only people who fit the definition are allowed to withhold. So let's take a look at the definition of withholding agent. That definition appears in the general definition section of the tax code, which is found in Title 26 of the United States Code, Section 7701A. Withholding agent is definition number 16 and reads as follows, quote, The term withholding agent means any person required to deduct and withhold any tax under the provisions of Section 1441, 1442, 1443, and 1461. Close quote. So... What are those listed sections? 1441 addresses withholding on the U.S. source income of non-resident alien employed while temporarily in the U.S. for educational purposes. 142 addresses withholding on U.S. source income belonging to foreign corporations. 1443 addresses foreign organizations that are tax-exempt, such as registered charities. 1461 says, quote, every person required to deduct and withhold any tax under this chapter is hereby made liable for such tax. And the title of the chapter referred to when it says under this chapter is chapter three, entitled Withholding of Tax on Non-Resident Aliens and Foreign Corporations. So, to summarize, a withholding agent is only allowed to withhold on U.S. source income earned by and belonging to a non-resident alien individual or foreign entity. I think that was a pretty good hint concerning the privilege being taxed by the U.S. income tax. Because some folks are in denial about being brainwashed for 60 years of government disinformation, Carl Sagan has something to say about that. Quote, One of the saddest lessons of history is this. 
If we have been bamboozled long enough, we tend to reject any evidence of the bamboozle. We're no longer interested in finding out the truth. The bamboozle has captured us. It's simply too painful to acknowledge, even to ourselves, that we've been taken. Close quote. And this from Mark Twain. Education consists mainly of what we have unlearned. From all you've learned just in this presentation, doesn't it appear there are some things you need to unlearn and get some good, solid knowledge under your belt? The good news is it's easier than you think to get the facts, to know such an important truth that's been hidden from you by the government's 60-year disinformation campaign. How do I know so much about taxation? Because I wrote Income Tax Shattering the Mist, the best-selling book in the country that tells the truth about the income tax. Income Tax Shattering the Mist is the product of decades of research. It irrefutably proves the income tax has never been imposed on ordinary working Americans. It doesn't just give you enough evidence to create certainty. It goes well beyond that, providing mountains of evidence that will convince any skeptic. Perhaps more important than the mountains of evidence is that it's all laid out in a straightforward way every American can understand. I guess a lot of people would think a book on income tax is dry and boring. Exactly the opposite is true of income tax shattering the mist. Readers often refer to it as a page turner and say they can't put it down. Here's what one reader said in a social media comment, quote, wow, chapter seven. Holy shit, man. I feel like I went to law school. Fascinating, though. If I didn't have to sleep and work, I'd read the book in one sitting. Close quote. As I said, a very common reaction is people find income tax shattering the mist hard to put down. To get your copy of income tax shattering the mist, go to drreality.news. Drreality.news. Put your copy in the cart, check out, and your copy will be on its way to you within 24 hours. Also, while you're there, consider grabbing a copy of Body Science, too. Have you ever wondered why America, with all of its wealth and scientific prowess, is the most ill society in human history? Body Science explains the fraud that's been perpetrated on you by the government and various trillion-dollar industries, then gives you the truth closing by giving you a factual scientific roadmap to creating phenomenal health and ensuring you won't be a victim of chronic disease. So go to drreality.news, drreality.news, and pick up a copy of Income Tax, Shattering the Mist, and Body Science. You have my word. They'll be two of the most fascinating books you'll ever read. Thanks for being here. Take care.